Have you ever held back from sharing your faith? How about with Muslims? If so, you're not alone. Many Christians are uncertain how to do that, especially with Muslims. That's why we developed this podcast to help you get the courage, confidence, and know-how to share your faith with Muslims and other non-believers. You'll be encouraged in your own walk with Christ while becoming more confident and bold at living as an authentic Christian witness. Hello, and welcome to iHope's Muslim Worldview Podcast. I'm Karen Bajani, and I'm joined here together with Renaud. Hello. And together, we founded iHope back in 2011. Now, many Christians have confided in Renaud and I that they haven't engaged because they didn't know enough about or really understand Islam, and they haven't wanted to offend. And frankly, it's felt like rocket science. Well, I hope helps demystify that with simple, practical things that you can know and do to live as an authentic Christian witness to Muslims. And the focus of our podcast today is that it's going to help you understand the Muslim worldview. Now, this is important because we will empower you with seven of the most important things that, for you to understand about what your Muslim neighbor believes. Renaud, before we dive into those seven things, let's start with an overview. So what is the most important thing our listeners need to know about this topic here today? All right. Well, the main point of differentiation between Islam and Christianity centers around the identity, nature, and role of Jesus Christ. Well, I know that as Christians, we believe that Jesus is God the Son that salvation is achieved only through his death and resurrection, and us accepting him as Lord and Savior. So, Renaud, what do Muslims believe? Remember, these things apply to Muslims of all denominations, so don't get caught up in any of that. Uh, uh, Whether they're Shiite, Muslims, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. These beliefs and this worldview applies to all of that. So, in Islam, the cross is not necessary because God saves by his mercy as he chooses to forgive whom he chooses to forgive. So Muslims work hard to please God, to accumulate more good works than bad, hoping he chooses to forgive them on judgment day. In Islam, Jesus is a messenger sent by God to point people back to the one true God. And in Islam, to claim Jesus is God or the Son of God guarantees a loss of salvation as it is an unforgivable sin and blasphemy to add partners to the one and only true God that they believe as they know him. So when it comes to salvation, Islam and Christianity are exactly the opposite. Islam believes that God's original revelations written in the Bible were corrupted. So Christianity, they thought, strayed from the one true God. So God gave the complete and final revelation of uh, the Quran to Muhammad. And now Islam, they believe, is supposed to bring humankind back to the one true God of the Quran as they believe. Islam's main goal is to establish 
the kingdom of God on earth. Well, Renaud, the first time I realized how differently Christians and Muslims view Jesus, to me it seemed insurmountable to consider engaging with Muslims as an authentic Christian witness. And yet, the thing that helped me make sense of my Muslim neighbor's worldview was when you taught me seven similarities between the Islamic and Old Testament Israel worldview. So that's how we're going to spend our time together on the rest of this podcast. So Renaud, why don't you start? Tell us about those seven similarities. Yeah, let's start with the first one. And that is, uh, they believe they are to point the world to worship the one true God of the Quran. Since creation, they believe humankind has strayed away from God creating and worshiping false gods. So God called Israel to point the whole world back to him. Islam believes that Israel always strayed from God, that they were worshiped other gods. So God sent Jesus to point people to the one true God. And then they believe Christianity was to continue the role uh, originally intended for Israel. But to Islam, Christianity failed by elevating Jesus into deity as God, the Son, the Son of God. So Israel does, or Islam does not understand the Trinity or the concept of a triune God. They view it as worshiping three gods. In the Islamic view, Muslims now are to point the world to worship the one true God of Islam. So our Muslim neighbors are kingdom-minded. Now, what's the second similarity, Renaud? All right. The second similarity to Israel is that Islam believes in God's word as holy scriptures. But to Islam, the Bible was corrupted, so God gave Muhammad the Quran. So Islam believes the Quran is now God's only uncorrupted scriptures and they are to spread it spread the quran to to point a lost world back to the one true god yes and this is an objection you might hear from your muslim friend and renaud you cover that in your book how to respond to that in your book muslims five biblical essentials yeah and let me share a few more similarities with old testament israel so the third similarity is that islam believes They're now God's nation on earth. Islam believes that since Israel and Christianity failed, it is now Islam that's God's chosen nation to be uh, uh, light in a spiritually dark world. Islam believes that they are to establish the kingdom of God to rule the whole world as a theocracy without separation between religion and government. God is to rule all civil, social, and religious aspects of life for the benefits of the whole world. Islam does not embrace the concept of separation of religion and government. They view such separation as rebellion against God. They don't want to repeat the mistake they believe Israel made in seeking freedom from God. Well, that explains a lot. I mean, just let that sink in for a second. Islam does not embrace the concept of separation of religion and government. What are the ramifications of that? So when Western nations propose political freedom to Islamic nations, it is viewed as a form of rebellion against God. To them, 
Secular governments are Satan's enticement to lure the world away from God. Oh, wow, that explains a lot. So, Renaud, how about the fourth similarity? Yeah, the fourth similarity with Old Testament Israel is the Islamic belief in a holy law from God. In the Islamic view, God established Israel to be a theocracy ruled by his holy law, governing every area of life. The Ten Commandments, think of them more like, like a constitution to his nation. Then God revealed more of his laws in what we understand as the Mosaic Law. The law governed their religious life and interaction with God, their human relationships, and all civil and social areas of life. In the Islamic view, Israel did not obey God's holy law. Then Christianity <laughs> claimed that God did away with the law altogether. Islam generally views Christians as misguided people who use their misunderstanding of God's grace as a license to sin. In the Islamic view, God gave his nation, Islam, his holy law, which is now referred to as Sharia law. Okay, wait, let's interject here for a second. Renaud, what does Sharia law mean? The term Sharia means path or uh, way. Sharia law is the legal system by which God governs his nation and people. It governs humans' relationship with God and with each other. Islam aims for the whole world to be under Sharia law. From our Christian view, Sharia law is oppressive, forcing humankind to live under a legalistic Old Testament law system, which changed than God to the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the fifth similarity with Old Testament Israel is that God's law comes, well, with a penal code, which details the punishment for breaking the law. Okay, so we're going to unpack that for us, the uh, penal code. All right. So, for example, breaking any of the first three commandments, uh, which had to do with humanity's relationship with God, well, they are blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy was stoning to death. Mm. Now, in regard to human relationships with each other, murder and adultery were also sins punishable by stoning to death. Mm. Islam teaches that breaking Sharia law is sin and requires punishing sin as God commands, mm. whether the sin is a violation of religion, uh, civil, or social life. Islam considers any form of blasphemy to be the worst sin hmm. and is typically punishable with death, which in their case is beheading. Hmm. Now, regarding human relationships, murder and adultery can also be punishable by death. Well, that explains why some Islamic nations continue to enforce this kind of punishment. In fact, it's like ripped right out of the headlines from Iran this week. So, Renaud, what is the sixth similarity? Well, the sixth similarity between Israel and the Islamic worldview is that God promised blessings if his people obeyed. So, wealth, prosperity, and defeat of non-Israeli nations in the Bible were seen as signs of the blessing of God. After Islam was born around 610 AD, 
it grew rapidly in territory and followers for around 1,000 years. Mm. Islam viewed that as God's pleasure with what they did. Mm. But God also punishes disobedience. So God punished Israel for their disobedience to the extent that only a few remain today. Mm. Now, God used Gentile nations as his judgment instruments against Israel. Some Muslims believe that God must be displeased with Islam because, well, ever since their religious mass territorial expansion by the 16th century, Islamic nations since then have been typically defeated by what, by what they consider infidels, that's non-Islamic nations. They think maybe God has been using these Christianized nations as his judgment instruments against Islamic nations and Muslims. Wow, it's, it's kind of hard to even wrap my head around. So it just sounds like a real struggle. Yeah, and there are two interconnected Islamic struggles, which means jihad in Arabic. I'm, I'm sure that's a term you've heard. Yeah. So, yeah. And their, their struggle or their jihad is one, well, how to get back into good standings with God. And two is, well, how do you establish the kingdom of God on earth? Those are big questions. Yeah, and the jihad or struggle is about how Islam can or should achieve these goals. Well, I bet there's a lot of disagreement by Islamic leaders about the answers to those questions. Yes, there is. And around 10% of Muslims are considered extremists. And these extremists have the tendency to become radical. Mm. Islamic terrorists typically come from this extremist category. Islamic terrorists justify their murderous actions as obedience to God. They, they, they twisted, they're twisted in their belief and they believe their actions are necessary to get back into good standing with God and to help usher in his kingdom. Now, their beliefs and convictions are so strong that they are willing to die for them. So this is the group that we typically see in the news, and it can seem like all Muslims are extremists, yeah. and yet it's important to remember that only a, that about 10% are extremists and about 90% are not extremists. That's right. So, so what you have is the 90% is broken up sort of into two groups. We estimate that about 10% are considered secular, hmm. and but that leaves about 80% that are considered what we would refer to as truth seekers. Truth seekers. I love this. Yeah. So, Renaud, why don't you share a story to help our listeners understand how knowing these seven, seven similarities today can impact a believer's relationship with the Muslim right now? Yeah, and th this is a story of Ahmed and Naomi a young married Muslim couple from an Islamic country run by Sharia law. And there it was forbidden for males and females to interact alone. But at age 19, as you can imagine, they were attracted to each other. They, they would meet in a public park, sit at different picnic tables. Imagine that, 
facing the opposite direction from each other. But they would do that and then they would talk only when they didn't see anyone close by. <laughs> Ahmed courted Naomi that way. Can you imagine courting me that way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Naomi eventually agreed to marry Ahmed and I thank God you agreed to marry me. <laughs> but before that happened uh, to Ahmed and Naomi, the religious police caught them talking in the park. Imagine they were caught for talking and they were sent into lashes by whip on their backs, which left them with permanent scars. So they have a felony now, a record, uh, and they were imprisoned. But despite all of that, they eventually married before coming to America, and they came here as international students. Mm -hmm. At that point, they'd never been befriended by a Christian, nor heard the gospel. And they were taught that all people in Western nations were Christian. All, all people. Yes, and that they were full of immorality. They were also taught that Christian nations, especially America, were in some ways political and or military enemies of Islam. Huh. Still, they came to America as international students and Ahmad came to get a degree in engineering and my Naomi as a doctor. They rented a room from a Christian couple, call them the Smiths. Ahmad and Naomi felt loved by the Smiths and observed them to be a very moral couple, very moral people. And this shattered the negative perceptions they had about Christians. Mm. They quickly grew to love the Smiths in return. Mm. Ahmed and Naomi start praying to convert the Smiths to Islam. So they gave them a Quran. Of course, in return, the Smiths applied the five essentials with them and starting by giving them a Bible. Mm. In time, Ahmed and Naomi heard the gospel. Then they went to church with the Smiths. Then they joined them for Bible study group and continued learning about God and salvation through Jesus. When they decided it was time to have a family, they were tempted to move back to their Islamic country where they were considered convicted felons because of that talking incident before their marriage. Their reasoning was that they wanted a more spiritual and godlier environment for their family than America offered. Can you imagine that? They were always mindful of the kingdom of God as they understood him. They view life from a spiritual, eternal perspective rather than an earthly one, temporary one. And 80% of Muslims are similar to that. They are truth seekers like Ahmed and Naomi. It's so interesting. They viewed life from a spiritual, eternal perspective. Yes. And so do we. What a great story and yeah. a great reminder that there are, you know, there are millions of Muslims just yes. like Ahmed and Naomi who are living right here among yes. us. And we have a, a wonderful opportunity as followers of Christ 
to be faithful witnesses of Jesus to them and with yes, them. Yes. Now, Renaud, you know, often Christians share that they're afraid to offend Muslims. Mm -hmm. And they tell us that since Muslims are from different nations on different continents with endless varieties of cultural views and beliefs that they can't possibly learn all there is to know about what might offend someone. And so um, maybe they don't do anything. I know I certainly didn't. So how should our listeners handle that, Renaud? Well, if you're thinking those things that you said, that it's not possible to learn enough about these cultures and beliefs and the endless variety, well, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it is overwhelming. So don't try. Don't even try. <laughs> Instead, embrace the unknown. It's pretty simple. Here's what I use and how not to offend someone and be released of this bondage of believing you have to know all of these things ahead of time. The way not to offend someone is say something like this. I am excited to know you, my Muslim friend, to learn about your beliefs and culture. Until I know these things, I'm afraid I'll offend you by saying or doing something inappropriate. Just do out of my ignorance. So, Will you promise to forgive me when I do that and teach me so I'll know and won't do it again? You know, when I've said that recently with a Muslim friend, she hugged me. Yes, <laughs> yes. Now, Muslims have always accepted that offer from me and from thousands of other Christians in this I Hope community. A Muslim is likely to do the same with you, just like Ahmed and Naomi did with the Smiths. Yes, and you know, don't let fear rob you of the opportunity and the responsibility to share Jesus with the majority of Muslims around you who are not extremists. And Renaud, you have more examples like this that we can follow and read in your book. Yes, and the book is available on our website. It's called Muslims, Five Biblical Essentials. So apply them, learn them. They're also available through uh, videos, free videos, podcasts, so on. These resources are full of stories of ordinary believers just like the Smiths who are answering God's call to take part of the Great Commission. You and I all need to be involved in the work of helping Muslims find and follow Jesus. This is what it will take to help turn around the alarming trends, the historical trends, and together we can make it a brighter future for the generations to come. <laughs>